0: thank you thank you everyone for joining the fastest known podcast it's so good to be virtually with everybody who's listening and paying attention it feels like a really good community It is now March 23rd. I'm speaking from Boulder, Colorado, which you might have heard of because, tragically, we made the news yesterday. We made international news. Yeah, there is a mass shooting one mile from my house. So for anyone who's wondering, yes, apparently I am perfectly fine and okay. And hopefully, I'm going to do a quickie one-sentence editorial here. Hopefully, we can pass better gun control laws. So the Second Amendment is protected, but sociopaths are not allowed to have mass weapons. Well, thank you for pardoning me with my one-sentence essay. And right now, also in Boulder, I'm speaking with Ryan Ignatz of Colorado Multisport And this is a kind of a follow-up from a conversation I had episode 122 in January with Andy Blow of Precision uh, Hydration. And we are talking again with Ryan about hydration, electrolytes, and definitely, I mean this, so make sure you pay close attention here, how this can help your running, cycling, or hiking. Welcome, Ryan. Right on. Thanks for having me. Well, Ryan, this is really fun because after my conversation with Andy over in the UK, he said, Buzz, we have to get a sweat test for you. I'm going, what's a sweat (laughs) test? And he set me up with you. And so I did a sweat test with you. And so I'm here to say, for everyone who's listening, this opened my eyes. I'm kind of, you know, I think I'm an experienced guy. I've seen and done a lot. I think I know quite a bit. And I learned a lot from the sweat test I did with you. So hopefully people are going to learn by listening to this right now. They might want to do it too. So Ryan, what the heck is the sweat test that you did on me?
1: Yeah. So, uh, that's a great question. Sweat testing is really about figuring out your body, right? So we want to understand what are your losses. Um, and in this case it's electrolyte losses and, um, those electrolyte losses uh, are important for us to understand um, why we're losing them so one we can figure out how to replenish um, but we want to perform and really when we start to lose too much electrolyte from our body, specifically sodium um, and it can be potassium as well uh, then you get some abnormal um, like muscle firing issues and, and a few other uh, regulatory issues within the body so Ultimately, our goal is to perform, whatever that means, whether that's just getting to the finish line with a walk, whether that's, uh, you know, having the fastest time. uh, It's really all about uh, getting to that to that line and performing well. And we need to understand our bodies to the. Yeah.
0: Right. So what everybody knows about is electrolyte. Everybody knows Mm -hmm. the word. Everyone knows the word hydration. But I don't think people really (laughs) know What to do about that? This is very interesting. So interesting. So what you did is you literally analyzed the sodium concentration in my sweat. As it turns out, different people lose different proportion of sodium in their perspiration. Yes. And uh, what am I, Ryan?
1: Uh, You are like around 14. Fourteen, fifty, or so, thousand four hundred and fifty milligrams of sodium per every liter that you sweat, right? So that's on the very high side, um, and something that uh, you know, to some degree, I'm, I'm surprised hasn't affected you more frequently over the years. Um, you've you've at least experienced a few major cramping type issues, which can be one possible side effect of of uh, losing too much sodium, uh, in a long distance event, let's say. Um, so, uh, really it comes down to, could you have maybe performed better, maybe felt better throughout a long day possibly. So those are the things that we don't know because, uh, you know, you and I talked to briefly about this before, but, uh, this idea of cramping and, and electrolytes is still not something that's very, um, very well understood or at least it's understood, but maybe not well documented from a research standpoint because it's really hard to clinically one, create cramping and then test that very effectively, right? So um, I think there's been a little bit of research in the central fatigue world as it relates to cramping, but but maybe not as much in the endurance sport world when it comes to electrolytes and their relationship to cramping. Right, so cramping is
0: a possible a negative consequence, but we don't know. I mean, scientifically, correct. we have to just state totally. cramping is in the not sure about that category. That is correct. Yep. But what you did is you determined that I lose 1,453 milligrams of sodium per liter of sweat, which is way on the high side. Totally. And then what you did is you said, okay, how are you going to make that back up? yeah, and I'm gonna put this in the written show notes. So people, this is an important episode to go into the written show notes because you're gonna see links to Ryan's uh, business where you can do this yourself and many other links. And if I get it together, there will be a link in the written show notes to an article with information that Ryan has provided. and this is a really good article on electrolytes and hydration. So again, 1,453 milligrams of sodium per per liter of sweat. And then you did this chart, which is an amazing chart, showing what commercial products I would have to use to replace that amount of sodium. Of course, this is a visual chart, and we're talking verbally, but that's why I wanted (laughs) to refer people to the show notes and go to the article so you can see what we're talking about. But this is an amazing chart. You walk down... I'm just going to do this verbally, so pardon me. Yep. Gatorade endurance former t- formula, Tailwind, Goo Brew, Goo Hydration, Precision Hydration, Noon Sport, Power Bar, Scratch, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And how much sodiums in that? How much calories are in that? And how much of that I would have to do to come back up to that 1453 number? Totally. And you did this as part of this sweat test. Yeah. Yeah. And so the so idea logically, is- I mean, logically, this is amazing. So this means instead of just saying, "Okay, electrolytes, right, yeah, good thing, I'll take some electrolytes," right, you are <laughs> identifying exactly how much I should intake.
1: Yep. Yeah. So the idea then is um, one, understanding, you know, what what your uh, like what your mode is, right? So like in this case, uh, I work with a lot of triathletes, typically. And they are often doing most of their hydration on the bike, right? So the goal there is to set themselves up for the best possible run um, because that's the hardest part of the day. It's the end of the day. And really, it's harder to ingest when you're running. So in the ultra running world, uh, which I know you you have plenty of uh, listeners, um, it, it might come down to what is their way of carrying that kind of um, fuel slash uh, hydration, right? So uh, one can, and can people, when they're out running, uh, are they good at ingesting? Are they not good? Is there, does their stomach tolerate it? Um, there are a lot of variables there. So one, it's understanding the mode, right? So running, cycling, um, you know, ball sports, whatever it may be. Right. So then we can figure out, well, what are you, what are you putting your hydration into? Right. So how are you carrying it? So then that gives us a volume. So in this case uh, on your chart, you know, you're getting more into cycling uh, just uh, to get more activity. And I broke it down into 24 ounce water bottles or 750 mil uh, bottles uh, for those in the metric world. Right. So um, that's, uh, you know, three quarters ish of a, uh, of a liter. Right. So if we're thinking about your sodium, uh, number, so your losses of you know around a uh, thousand four hundred and fifty milligrams of sodium per every liter that uh, would be considered i, I guess I call it a strength um, so if we call that a hundred percent strength, then I consider in twenty four ounces you would need to have a hundred percent strength of that drink a thousand and thirty two milligrams of sodium. So we don't have to be 100% precise on that. So I give a range somewhere in this 80 to 100% drink strength uh, tends to work well. So for you, I just kind of rounded it out and said, every time you drink 24 ounces of something, so water, fluid, um, sports drink, whatever it may be, you should be getting around 900 milligrams of sodium. So that's the idea, right? And so that's going to be different for every individual. Some people might only need... You know, 300 milligrams per that 24 ounces. The average is somewhere in the 700ish um, milligrams uh, for that 24 ounces. So you're just a, a you're definitely above that average. Right, and you
0: broke it down in this handy dandy chart, yeah. Which is what everyone who gets a sweat test from you will also receive. Totally. And so if I use EFS powder, for example, yeah, I'm getting 300 milligrams. For according to their per
1: concentration. For one two,
0: yep. Right, which is less than one third. It's basically yep. one quarter of my replenishment rate. Totally. So according to this, this is inadequate.
1: It would be inadequate. So uh, over time, we could see that um, your stores of sodium would be going down over time. So sodium is stored in the bloodstream. Uh, that needs to be topped up um on a more regular basis so that it's uh, that your blood doesn't become hyponatremic right so or you um which basically just says that there's too little sodium relative to fluid amount right so so if you just kept drinking a low sodium drink relative to your losses you're going to continue to lose sodium um over time and so at some point you can become more depleted right and that can then uh, upset your performance Right. Now this is, boy, I,
0: this is super interesting. I learned a lot here because here's a few myths. Let's talk about, yeah. let's dispel a few myths. Love One it. of them, if, if you read uh, mm-hmm. you know, the Forest Service or National Park Service websites, and saying you got to drink, you know, like five liters of water a day. It's like, wow. <laughs> I mean, I'm physically incapable totally. of doing these things. Yep. And I, you know, I've been to the Grand Canyon, you know, 20 times in the deserts, and I never do this. And in <laughs> fact, indeed, statistically speaking, hyponitremia, hypo means uh, um, low, yep, um, natrium, and that stands for Na salt or sodium hyponatremia is more hazardous to runners at races than dehydration. So more people are experiencing distress or even hospitalization due to an imbalance of electrolytes than dehydration. That's a dramatic little myth to dispel, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah. I would say it tends to happen for the You know, the middle of the pack to slower athletes uh, where they run into that more frequently. And the the problem with it is that people, I think, uh, have learned and been educated that they need to hydrate. Right. So that's the goal is is hydrate, you know, with what uh, hasn't been 100 percent, especially in the running world, really. Uh, advocated for, meaning that most of the time it's it's uh, it's water, right? So if you look at a lot of marathoners, a lot of them will will shoot for just drinking water. It's easy, um, tastes good relatively, and uh, it's not all sweet by the end. So a lot of people do tend to focus on drinking water. So if let's say you are a high sodium loser, uh, if we want to use that term, so somebody who does lose a lot of sodium out of their sweat gland when they sweat. Um, and they're just consuming water, uh, over time, they're going to get into that hyponatremic state actually even faster because they're consuming water, right? There's this idea that uh, uh, Dr. Noakes, Timothy Noakes, he he, uh, has this book called Waterlogged, Um, great reference uh, for those who just want to learn something else and have another uh, viewpoint. But the idea is that it's, pretty hard or impossible to become hyponatremic um, naturally, right? So if you were to just continue sweating uh, and not really drinking, uh, there wouldn't be that much issue, right? So you would your body would naturally equilibrate and everything would work out well. However, performance would start to suffer. right? So your body will naturally, Uh, find again that state of neutrality within the bloodstream but you become uh, slower right so the idea is then we don't want to slow down right we want to make sure that we're we're topping up the bloodstream so our plasma volume um, filling it up with fluid Um, and then if we do that with just water well now we're we're diluting out all the the leftover sodium that has not been sweated out. So that's where we do become more hyponatremic. Right.
0: Right. Right. Interesting. And I'm going to do a quick note here for the listeners who hopefully are being impressed and learning quite a bit here is that you were a former triathlete. You retired just a few years ago. Many regional wins and Xterra, et cetera, et cetera. And since then, a master's degree in kinesiology and applied physiology at CU. You worked yep. with Dr. Alan Lim, who of course founded Scratch Labs. So you know what you're talking about.
1: Uh I would I definitely am a steward of learning, right? So I, <laughs> I really appreciate the aspect of science and um those unanswered questions and um and just trying to stay up with it. So yes. Good. Well, this is excellent
0: because I I'd love to learn also. And hopefully, our listeners are learning by listening to you. So, part two of the myths the first one was a dehydration versus hyponitremia, not staying up on the electrolyte balance. Yep. But the second one, which came on later, is drink to thirst, right? So, we kind of, it's kind of like the minimalist running movement. Oh, this is interesting, where yeah. the running shoe companies used to. You know, talk about neutral and pronation, anti-pronation, dah, 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 which is largely BS. They literally were making it up. There is zero scientific studies for any of that. <laughs> and so then, popularized by Chris uh, Chris McDougall with uh, Born to Run, people went into minimalist footwear. And they were wearing like Vibram five yeah. fingers to run road marathons, which is <laughs> really a bad idea. So things kind of swing back and forth. And so away from drinking a gallon of water for a marathon, it swung over to drink to thirst. But turns out mm-hmm. that is not correct either.
1: Right. So uh, I think it's it wouldn't be it, it can be very correct. Actually, that's probably a good place to start is drinking to thirst. However, uh, there are some caveats, right? So not everybody's thir- thirst mechanism kicks in the same. Right. So some people just don't know how to listen to their body. Some people it takes a while for that thirst mechanism to kick in. But some people, I think this is where it becomes really problematic is when somebody who sweats a lot and also maybe loses and actually does lose a lot of sodium. So you get the double whammy there. Um when when somebody in that situation is trying to drink the thirst, they're gonna be way behind, right? When when it when push comes to shove. So uh, for those athletes, especially the ones working at also a high intensity, uh, we need to actually force them to to almost pre-start the drinking process and really stick with the drinking process from the beginning so that they don't get behind because they're losing at such a high rate that uh, it would be hard to, for their body to catch up unless they slow down, right? And the goal isn't to slow down. Right. Well, we
0: described me <laughs> I think uh wow again I'm just I was taken yeah. aback by our conversation in person when we did our my sweat test and the logic here was staring me in the face that I had not realized before is that I'm a low sodium consumer in general I don't eat a lot of salt that's like mm. yeah. and when I take that into long recreational outings Then what happens is I stop drinking, and I'm literally not thirsty. I'm listening to my body just fine. Because your body's smart. Yeah, I'm listening to my body. And something that Andy Blow said is that we Mm -hmm. protect sodium at all costs. Our body protects its sodium concentration.
1: Totally. So
0: if you're kind of getting low on it, it will shut down inhibit the thirst mechanism because it doesn't want to dilute the sodium concentration. And the way to deal with that is to, well, have a sweat test with you and read the (laughs) result and look at the stupid number on the piece of paper and believe it (laughs) and learn at an old age, you know, teach an old dog a new trick to Mm -hmm. up the sodium content, which ups the thirst mechanism, which actually balances
1: me out. That's correct. Yeah. That's uh, what a, it's such an amazing and uh, simple idea, right? So that thirst mechanism. um, So anybody I think can relate to this when it comes to just everyday life, right? So if you force to drink just water, right, there's a point where you don't feel like drinking any more water, right? So that's basically your thirst mechanism telling you, you don't want any more water because it's trying to again preserve that ratio of sodium to fluid in the bloodstream. So it's gonna it's gonna try to tell you, I don't want any more, right? So everybody has experienced that. So I think it's the opposition that you're you're describing that people also do experience that, but they shouldn't experience that. Right,
0: right. So uh, a gallon a day or a gallon during a race might be a bit much unless it's a You know, two day long race. But drink to thirst might not be correct because if your sodium concentration falls low, your body will inhibit the thirst response. And so you could be getting dehydrated without actually knowing it. And the solution is to bump that one up to create the thirst mechanism so your sodium balance stays in harmony. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. And bring this back around you get a sweat test. Now your sweat <laughs> test does not talk about volume. So in reality it's concentration, sodium concentration times volume, but it does show you the concentration. And I'm a turns out, which I didn't know, a high sodium loser in my sweat ratio.
1: <laughs> That's correct. Yeah. Yep. So um yeah, so it is interesting, you know, science is is, is uh is interesting, right? It's not always like there's not always one answer that works for each individual, especially when it comes to performance, right? So there's still some trial and error in there in terms of um, uh, like how to drink it, how to ingest it, you know, how much feels like too much for each individual. Um, so there is still a little bit of variability in there. But what I do find is that more people tend to, one, recover faster. With better advice, right? So the advice that we're offering through the sweat test., um, so we do see that. We actually uh, to uh, as a part of that, I think about the winter time, especially working with a lot of cyclists and triathletes who ride a lot inside or indoors. And for some reason, there's this association with indoor versus outdoor. The indoor they associate with just drinking water. If they go outside, maybe they do choose more sports drinks or, or some supplementation outside right uh, and what's interesting is that we do see these athletes who ride indoors a lot they're perspiring a lot because it's warmer inside they're working at usually higher intensities and then uh, they are just drinking water as their fluid and not a big deal for that you know hour or two but it's that they kind of do that day in day out and then they're constantly getting this slow um, decline in how much sodium stores are available. You pair that with an athlete who is also somebody who's a clean eater who tends to cook at home, especially when paired with a pandemic, they're not going out to dinner. And when they cook at home, often they're, they're not uh, salting their foods very much, right? So it's this double whammy of, of consistently over time, reducing how much sodium is in your bloodstream until you start to just get into these phases of not being well hydrated, which that hydration really means the proper amount of sodium to fluid ratio that's topped up fully versus at a really low grade uh, amount. And so in that case, their hydration status slowly kind of declines over time. They're not replenishing correctly. And then they get into this kind of funk and uh, almost like an overtraining state. And it's really just they weren't hydrating very well and they weren't recovering well. And that starts to reduce your sleep. And so it is interesting when we start to see some of those trends happen uh, with athletes. Um, And definitely we see that even in the running world during the summer when most runners just uh, there. I think there's a weight consciousness in the running world. Um, that sometimes, uh, forces people not to be drinking as much like either sports drink, which, which does have at least some electrolyte, uh, but they're really just not replenishing very well, maybe drinking a, a little bit of water. So, um, so yeah, I see some of that uh, as part of the, the negatives of your recovery phase, right? So I think, um, making sure you're doing that replenishment well, will help with the recovery process for a lot of athletes. Wow. You shot down a lot of balloons there in, uh,
0: (laughs) in one minute, Ryan, good job. It's like, dang, dang, I've been (laughs) listening to you all along. And another note here, uh, Ryan is graciously offering a discount code to all listeners of the fastest known podcast. I'm not going to give it over there because it's too hard to remember. So simply go to the written show notes and look at the discount code and, uh, Actually, here's an interesting point. So, would people have to come to your testing facility
1: in Boulder to do this? They do, yes, because it requires specific equipment that allows us to induce the sweating and then analyze that sweat in real time.
0: Okay, so come. You, the discount code is. I mean,
1: I you can tell
0: I'm benefiting from this, as you can tell by this conversation. And so, if you can come to uh, Ryan's testing facility here in Boulder, you can get a sweat test and you can get a discount on the sweat test. And again, it gives you not just the number, but it gives you this nice written report and recommendations and a conversation with Ryan, which I think is very helpful. So now here's some specific questions. Cool.
1: Let's do it.
0: Um, you told me in our personal conversation that two hours is a reasonable range where things are probably going to work out. In yeah. other words, if you're going out and running a 5K, this is somewhat of a moot point probably because just That's what's right. in your gut, what's in what you just ate for totally. breakfast was probably going to cover it. But right. over the range of two hours, then you want to start monitoring this and being a little more rational and metric with your uh, application of electrolytes. Is that right? Yep.
1: That is true. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there are some athletes where uh, two hours, yeah, maybe a little bit of sipping might, might make you feel better. pre um, prehydrating for that two hour session is definitely very important. So, and when we talk about prehydration, this isn't the old idea of just drinking a lot of water until your pee is clear. This is pre uh, prehydrating with a lot of sodium to help top up your bloodstream, right? And then we know that you're fully topped up and you have plenty to lose over that couple of hours. But as you start going beyond that, uh, I think, Hydration status becomes very important for sure. Um, is that
0: that's another little uh, urban or athletic one-liner that I've always heard? Is that true? Should you be drinking enough so that your urine is clear?
1: Uh, you will. Any excess fluid that you have that your body's not able to to store, like in the bloodstream, will get processed and pushed out. Right, so you'll pee it out. Now, storage of water is related to sodium. So you won't store as much to preserve that ratio of sodium to fluid ratio in your bloodstream. You won't store as much fluid, so you won't increase your plasma volume as much if you don't have enough sodium around. Right, right. Yeah.
0: But is it true that you should – to be honest, my urine never goes clear. So does that – Yeah, is that I don't okay? think it needs to be
1: that – it's Ah. it's fine if it's not not okay uh super clear i'd say you know that kind of maybe mellow yellow because then you're also probably peeing out a little extra electrolyte as well so it will probably have some color to it Um, but if it starts getting clear it's actually almost a form of dehydration because you're actually peeing out excess electrolytes at the same time um, and you're probably not uh holding as much fluid so Gotcha. So I, I yeah. shouldn't feel too bad about
0: my past no. practices. Now, if it's really
1: dark uh, and you're getting ready for a race, that might be more problematic. <laughs> okay.
0: All right. <laughs> All right. Good. I was kind of feeling like I've been, you know, screwing it up here for 50 no. years. No. All right. Just just only a little bit. And you've also said that for high intensity, this this I've definitely felt that a degree of body weight loss, mm-hmm. like in the you know 2 to 3% category, is okay. That's, I mean, we're not trying to go 100% to 100% here. That's just not that's right. really, forget yeah. that.
1: Totally. Yeah, I think that's a, a great distinction. Um, yeah, and very good point to make in that it's okay to be dehydrated, right? Especially in a racing situation. Um, the reason I say that that's okay is that, our bodies can still perform up to a certain point of or certain level of dehydration, right? And I think we want to get to that level of dehydration at the finish line, right at that point when our body is just about to not start performing very well, right? So the reason I think that's a a good way to do it is that one, uh, we don't have to carry as much, right? That's it's also, too, we have less stuff we have to put through our gut, less stuff we have to process, less stuff we have to use blood to help process, right? So we can use that blood flow for working muscles, right? And for, for performance. Um, now, that point where people dehydrate to where their performance starts to drop off is, is variable, Right. So we might see that kind of old world or old uh, kind of old common number that we see in the research would be about two percent of your body weight loss as fluid loss from sweating before performance starts to fade. And I'd say for the average person who um, who is working at a decently high intensity, that's probably pretty common within that two hour window. Um, to start to see around 2%, 3% where things start to really fall apart. Um, there are some elite marathoners where we there's one in particular where there's they've done some research with him. Uh he was up to about 10% of dehydration. That's a, that's a lot. Which is which is very significant, right? So most people would be delirious and really <laughs> struggling. You know, by the time you get to 12, 15%, I mean you're you're close to death. So So for him to do within two, just barely over two hours, but yet at 10% dehydration is is pretty phenomenal and uh, just shows maybe his training status. And maybe he was actually more hydrated uh, than than some people in the research that was at 2%. Maybe they started off less hydrated so they could only get to 2% before they started to fall apart. So there's some flaws in some of that research. Uh, But what we also know then is we go longer, we can tolerate more dehydration,
0: right? Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. So in other words, if you're, of course, an example of this marathoner you refer to, we can't run run sub-six-minute miles for (laughs) 26 miles anyway, so he's not a terrific example. You're saying, say, if I weigh 150 and I finish a race and I still weigh 150, well, I hope I guess I had a nice big pizza halfway through. <laughs> if I finish at one forty-five, that's that's probably that about should be right. okay. Yeah, yeah totally. Mm-hmm. But yep. if I get below one forty, then I have probably lost performance. Yes, more than likely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, but for longer, like ultra distances, then you note that four to six percent might yep. be in the reasonable category. Okay. Totally.
1: Yeah. All right.
0: But don't take it past that.
1: Um, Yeah, I would say you'd you'd have to do or you would want to know with some training to know that you could be seven, maybe even eight percent dehydrated and still perform well. But I have a feeling most people don't want to test that. And and practice, <laughs> <laughs> why? Yeah,
0: <laughs> why? Why te- it's like testing sleep deprivation.
1: Totally. Yeah,
0: it's not. Uh, it's not a, not a good training plan. Right. Okay. Well, this is terrific, Ryan. I'm reminding people go to the written show notes. Well, it should have an article up with um, better data from Ryan. And Ryan is here in Boulder in case you'd like to get a sweat tester your own. And there will be a, a discount code for you to get that. And the conversation that I'm having with Ryan, you can have one-on-one with him as well. Okay, here's a tricky question. And you already referred to it early on. And I really appreciate this because some people try to give you these black and white answers, right? And it's like, hmm, what you said about just like the sweat test. Everyone's different. That's why the test is good. Is people's concentration of sodium loss is highly variable, just like people's ability to update calories per hour is highly variable. And so, testing and analysis is important. Realizing that everyone, as the old saying goes, is an experiment of one is important. And so, here's here's the tough question, where this that little buildup applies to, and that is cramping. Mm-hmm. Cramping is. Bad. I've cramped bad in the past. I hate it. It's devastating. It's actually hard to figure out. There's not a black and white answer to that, is there?
1: Uh yeah. Um, there's not a total black and white answer, but there are uh some answers for some people that are are more commonly solved, right? So we do know that there's uh like central fatigue kind of theory is probably the most common one that people believe in. Um, so basically, you're you're uh, so, for example, let's let's just say that let's say you 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 know had a good meal, you've got plenty of hydration in your system in terms of you drank enough, you had enough sodium around. So we know that your 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 stores are full in terms of sodium or electrolyte balance, let's call it. Um, and let's say you know a couple hours later, you decide to go uh, running down the street uh in an all-out sprint right maybe not even much warm-up and all of a sudden a cramp you you cramp your calf let's say right so that is not related to an electrolyte imbalance uh, at least in the sense of how we're we're thinking about it from a hydration standpoint meaning in your bloodstream right it's possible maybe you had um uh, just overexertion, right? So your central nervous system, uh, maybe misfires or like over, over fires really, and then creates that cramp. So that's a good possibility. And it was not ever related to, uh, electrolyte imbalance. So when we're doing the test, sometimes we can deduce based on, you know, what your nutrition strategy was on that day, what your hydration status was on that day, your intensity level relative to past experience, um, and we can start to fine tune and figure out. Okay, well, maybe your cramping in this case was actually just maybe dehydration, or maybe, maybe it was just because you uh, you had been training at altitude, you went down to sea level, you were overriding, uh, so overdoing your ability, right? So you're performing uh, harder than you you have in training, and you might have just yeah uh fatigue your system right so um then we start to think about my wife is a massage therapist body worker um and there are some other uh, areas of research that this relates to but um we need to get metabolites to to muscles right so that they perform well right so that they don't mess fire they don't have uh issues with calcium release or um the influx of sodium and potassium like that uh that change uh in membrane potential that's happening um so it's possible that maybe you just have really severe tightness in an area some muscle where you just have adhesion or whatever it might be that's creating a blockage of getting um electrolytes to that tissue correctly or to get fluid to that tissue and maybe you're actually getting a cramp from something related to just lack of um like suppleness of that muscle so there are a lot of factors that go into it it's very hard to test um, so we have to go somewhat on anecdotal evidence and there's plenty of anecdotal ev- evidence to, to support uh, that uh, especially high sodium liver losers uh, maybe are more commonly seen to uh, experience a cramp in their lifetime, hmm. right?
0: Well, so well you're describing me once again. Going back to what you started off by saying, the central fatigue theory.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: A uh, physician, a running friend of mine, who I actually compete against in the same age group, he suggested, which would pursuant to the central fatigue syndrome, eat just start eating right at the start and because I generally when i'm going full-on i tend not to get hungry again yeah. it's like that I tend not to feel thirsty i don't don't get hungry I kind of have that Bitten my teeth, I tend to just go. But he said, Boy, 30 minutes in, eat, 60 minutes in, eat, and just keep going, going. Yeah. He thinks that might ameliorate the cramping.
1: Totally. Yeah. I think there's even something related to amino acids as it relates to the eating uh, that uh, basically give the brain a bit more. Um, well, I guess that would be more muscle related, but there's something about the brain getting more more input like whether it's food stuff just even in the mouth right so the i think there's some sensing that happens in the mouth that might tell the brain uh that you can you can get enough like uh i guess you'd call it signal to the to the working muscle right so that could be part of it um so yeah uh i don't think that's a bad thing uh we just have to know how much is too much to eat um and i would say just start start somewhere uh, just like you're saying uh grab a little something and see what does happen um you know coke is another unique one that that seems to sometimes work as well when it comes to um uh that central fatigue model i think uh, really gets people through so that would be more of the sugar side and whatever mm-hmm. other that's ingredients a, that they don't that's tell interesting them. because i
0: don't i mean like half marathon nothing yeah. uh, ultra no no, multi-day, no. I cramp at the yeah. marathon distance. I cramp okay. at the high exertion level. So the, you know, past five hours, not really. Totally. And you just mentioned Coke and, of course, anecdotal evidence. Yeah. Who do we know that drank defizzed Coke at every age station? This is a quiz, yeah. Ryan. <laughs> Who is it?
1: At every age station? Ooh, every my, age station. A native,
0: a native yeah. of Boulder.
1: <laughs> really? No, I have no idea.
0: Frank Shorter.
1: Oh, very cool. Yeah, I did he not goes, know that. I, he still I,
0: lives in Boulder. you yeah. see him every so often. Right. No, I'm mean, Frank. Gold medal in yeah. Munich, yeah. a silver medal in Montreal. Yeah. Wow, that guy got it done. Defizzed fizzed coke. And then yep. here you are. Just, you didn't know this, but you uh, mentioned it. Okay, the last cramp question. Yeah. Pickle juice and whatnot, like what's up with that? There's no carbohydrate, no sugar in that. It's not really an electrolyte thing. So it's stimulating our endocrine system in some way. And Mm -hmm. there's anecdotal evidence that these tart, sour uh, ingestion works. Do you – I mean, I don't know. I've never Mm -hmm. tried it. But what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, uh, and I think you'd lump um, – Now I'm blanking on the the word I want, but, uh, or the the food item I want, but yeah, there's something called the hypoglossal pharyngeal reflex that that we briefly touched on before, but, um, but yeah, this is a a reflex that when you consume the pickle juice, um, it basically uh, kind of short circuits the brain. So this, this overemphasis of like signal that's coming from the brain to the muscle, and creating this cramping situation, it kind of stops that, right? So that it can reset uh, the, the muscle. The uh, muscle can finally relax again and then go back to normal, right? So, um, yeah, uh, vinegar would, was the the term I was looking for. So vinegar is also in that category, in that pickle juice category. You so- slow,
0: slow the, say the name of that reflex a little slower for yeah. me. Yeah. Hypo something.
1: Hypoglossal pharyngeal reflex Ooh. so it's basically a reflex that's happening actually kind of at the uh, back of the mouth here so your body is sensing it before you actually fully ingest it right so it's it's making that um it, yeah it's basically making that shift happen uh in real time before you actually swallow right? wow right. so swallow. It's not what goes into your stomachs
0: not what goes in your totally yeah just stimulating your endocrine, your hormonal system
1: totally yeah and we and we do see even uh, sometimes with with sodium you can do something similar like um, whether you're putting it under your tongue just for um, easier absorption, uh, which is pretty kind of uh, harsh to do. Um, there's a company base uh, who does believe in that theory, and I think there's some evidence to say that you can get sublingual um, Uh, like right into the bloodstream absorption, which is pretty cool with sodium, but it's, it doesn't feel very good. Uh, But basically your mouth uh, has a lot of sensors to it. And, uh, and really your brain is just sensing those and, and automatically making a response to it before you actually fully ingest. So that's pretty wild. That is wild. Ryan,
0: our last question for you is going to be an open ended one. Which is I always ask people what's next? Normally, I'm often I'm talking to an athlete, which might be their next project, but you're a scientist. You have this great research background here. So what's next in this field? do you do you see anything coming, anything you're excited about, anything we should know about?
1: Yeah, I, I would say that probably the next phase of this um, uh, like in the hydration world is is really understanding each individual's hydration status in real time, right? So you know we can use apps or like Garmin um, or Apple or whatever it is and and put how much fluid we're ingesting. Right? And it gives us a kind of benchmarks to shoot for uh, for general health. And um, but it really doesn't tell us how much fluid is really in our bloodstream, how much fluid is really uh within our cells and um and how hydrated we really are. So there's a few companies trying to work on that. Uh, so I think that'll be, um, a pretty cool research. Uh, and that'll really also relate to, uh, I think recovery status as well. And whether we're ready for the next big training block or the big, uh, training day. Um, so the better we understand that, um, that hydration status, I think the, the better we can fine tune our training and be really ready for everything. Um, and then the wearable technology, uh, for looking at the sodium losses, Um, In real time, as well as potassium, because you do lose a little bit of potassium and calcium out of your out of your sweat as well. Right. So uh, but really looking at that in real time to help with replenishing strategies. Yeah.
0: So so one can either either become a resident of the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs and be tested every day and have perfect training methodology or Tim Cook, Apple CEO, as he uh, said, can invent the next $1,000 watch. And so when you're <laughs> running a marathon, you kind of look at that and go, you need to drink nine ounces of fluid at the next aid station.
1: Totally. Yeah. So well, so we'll see that technology hopefully within the next few years. And um, yeah, everybody will have more real-time data of their body um, and really know what to do. Excellent,
0: Ryan. Thank you for taking the time. This has been very instructional. I appreciate you a great deal. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. I really appreciate meeting you as well. Uh, You're a legend in the sport. And uh, I know, uh, yeah, you're helping all the people that listen to you for sure.
0: Thanks, Ryan. And the people, anyone else who thinks that, please rate us at Apple Podcasts. The ratings help other people find us. It's not just like a stroke. Uh, Five stars means other reviews can find us and more people can find out about the fastest known podcast. So thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We'll be back next week. And thank you again, Ryan.
1: All right. Appreciate it.